my Govanen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and we are starting off 2022 finally. And one of the things that I've been thinking about doing for a long time is something on the issue of magic and also the related topic of technology in the Lord of the Rings. And if you really want deep dives into the way magic gets portrayed in Middle-earth, Girl Next Gondor has a really long-running series on this, and her latest one is actually really good. It's on oaths and curses, and it touches on a bunch of different stuff. But what I'm more interested in is not so much the deep explanation of what magic is in this video. I'm looking more at how we might consider the difference between magic and machine to the extent that those two can be differentiated, and what things in the Lord of the Rings might be machine rather than magic, as we typically understand it. Now, the interesting thing here is Tolkien, in a letter to uh, another person, describes a lot of his work and the central themes that he attributes to them he says, are fall, mortality, and machine. And he kind of equates machine or technology with magic. But the reason he does this is because he thinks that the two are primarily really aimed at the object of imposing your will more efficiently on your surroundings or nature or whatever it happens to be, as opposed to art, which the object of which is not to dominate or control or anything like that. So he makes this distinction, and he mentions as well that Galadriel kind of is getting at this same distinction when she tells the hobbits, Frodo and Sam, I'm not sure what you mean by magic, because you use the same word for what we do as what Sauron does, and I, they're not really the same. Tolkien makes the point that the art of the elves is not aimed at the same object as the magic or machine element of the enemy, and therefore, it's really a different thing. My goal in this video is not really to explore that distinction, although that's totally worth exploring, and I probably will eventually in a separate video. Rather, what I'm interested in this video is taking a look at what we colloquially think of as magic, and contrasting that with what we typically think of as machines or technology, and assessing which things we can look at and say that's magic versus which ones are machines and where the line is maybe a little fuzzy because it's not really clear. So with that in mind, here are some examples in The Lord of the Rings that we can say are at least potentially and maybe probably or even certainly what we might think of as technology versus magic. So as a starting point, I definitely want to say that the rings and other similar items are clearly not examples of technology in this sense. Clearly they are in the sense that Tolkien was talking about, because they are, to use his phrase, a use of external plans or devices, apparatus, instead of development of the inherent inner powers or talents, or even the use of these talents with the corrupted motive of dominating, bulldozing the real world or coercing other wills. That is textbook what the rings of power are. They, they are by definition designed by Sauron with the intent of dominating other wills. And so those clearly meet the definition of both magic and machine, which he basically uses interchangeably in, in that letter. It's letter number 131 in the letters if you're interested. 
so it clearly meets that definition. But in the sense that I am talking about, the Rings of Power are not. Because the Rings of Power, though they are clearly a an item which is being used for a purpose externally, it's clearly a magical item because the whole source of the power within the rings is basically the inherent supernatural power of Sauron himself. To the extent that the control is there, it's because Sauron is exerting his control through his inner spiritual power. It's not a machine or a technological advancement. There are a lot of other things, however, that bend that line a little bit. And some of our best examples actually come from Saruman, because, and this, you know, makes a lot of sense, Saruman has a mind of metal and wheels. He is kind of bent on the destruction of nature with the, you know, the using technology and, and science, and that's kind of Saruman's thing. He's that kind of a guy. And it tells you a lot about Tolkien's worldview that he puts that in the form of one of the villains. And I'll address that point later on, too, because I think this gets to a lot of different things. But there's two things that Saruman uses through the story that we can identify as potentially being something like technology rather than magic. And one of those is the apparent ability that Saruman has of speaking through the tunnel that goes through the wall of Isengard into the inner ring of Isengard. There's a, a gate and a tunnel, and Saruman apparently has the ability to project in some form his voice to that entrance, Not even though he's not there. This comes up in The Lord of the Rings at one point, and it's not clear exactly how it works, but it's like, this is this sounds a lot like really modern technology, and Tolkien wouldn't have been familiar with things like ring doorbells or other stuff like that where you could talk to somebody literally at your door through your doorbell, but he would have been familiar, of course, with telephones and other devices that allow you to carry your voice to places that you are not present. And so it begs the question, does Saruman have something like that, or is this merely an extension of his power internally that he has through his voice? Typically, when we think of that, we think of him using the power of his voice to persuade, to cousin, to, you know, make other people, you know, go his way, you know, rather than having to convince them with argument, but just to, you know, overcome them with whatever it is that he's got going on. But this is potentially another aspect of that. Maybe he can make his voice just carry magically. But there is at least also the potential that this is actually a technological device, and it wouldn't have to be very complicated. I mean, you know, if you've got kids or wherever a kid, and I'm sure you were, and you ever had two cans and a long string, you could make a makeshift telephone. So it's not like technology capable of carrying a voice some great distance would be beyond necessarily the capability of the technology of what they would have in Middle-earth. So that's potentially what's going on there. Another example from Saruman is the blasting fire that the Urukai used to destroy the wall at Helm's Deep. And, of course, blasting fire can mean a lot of things. And we can see alternate interpretations of this in B Ralph Bakshi's The Lord of the Rings and Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings. Ralph Bakshi takes the more magical approach where he has basically Saruman casting magic that then goes and blows up the wall. 
Peter Jackson takes the technological approach and has actual bombs. And of course, both of these would be perfectly possible within the context of Middle-earth technology. The Chinese had gunpowder centuries ago, and it wouldn't be beyond the capacity of Saruman, who of course knows more about how Middle-earth works than any human would, because he would have been part of the music, and he was especially adept at making things and tinkering and whatnot, being a Maya associated with Aule, it would totally be within his wheelhouse to know how to make explosive powder, even though that's not a thing that technologically would have been widespread among elves and men. So again, there's another example where it's not clear exactly what happened, but it does seem like maybe that's what that is. And again, this this one in particular really kind of goes back to Tolkien's worldview. If you know much about his views on war and technology... He doesn't like bombs, he doesn't like machines, he doesn't like these kinds of things. He likes nature and simple tools like what hobbits use. And so the idea of using a bomb at Helm's Deep is something that I could very easily see Tolkien attributing to Saruman being a very wise, cunning craftsman capable of doing something like that and therefore using it for evil purposes. That's exactly the kind of thing that Tolkien disliked technology for, is its use in war and indiscriminate killing and destruction. So, even though the voice call box idea may be a little fuzzy, I think this one's a little bit more solid, and we can pretty easily see that this is probably actually a case of advanced technology created by somebody with more than advanced knowledge, given his status as a Maya. Other cases of clear technology actually exist mainly in the Shire. Most of the rest of the world is pretty clearly set in a pseudo-Middle Ages type setting. The technology is clearly all Middle Age type stuff. People are wearing chainmail armor, using swords and spears and bows. There's very little going on to indicate anything other than a medieval-esque type technology going on. And yet, from The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, we learn that Bilbo has a clock on his mantelpiece. And so we have clear examples of things that are definitely not middle-age technology. And of course, this is mirrored by the general feel of Hobbit society, because we have them wearing waistcoats and all these other things that are so emblematic of later periods in English history. They wear clothes like people in Tolkien's time would have worn. They don't wear medieval-type clothing. They wear, you know, they do things the way that, you know, non-medieval people would. It's it's weird because Tolkien, of course, starts this in The Hobbit, and then later in The Lord of the Rings really kind of puts everything back in a medieval setting, kind of like the Silmarillion stories. So it's not like this was necessarily intentional, but nevertheless, it's there. We have these references to things that are clearly more modern technology in the Shire than we do anywhere else. And it's it's really amusing because the hobbits are really the ones that you would think would be the least interested in having advanced technology and the least likely to have it, whereas Numenor would be more likely to have it. But there you go. Now, another example, and this one is really interesting because it really straddles the line. You don't really know where it falls, but you also tend to think it doesn't meet Tolkien's own definition of machine or magic, is the Palantir. The Palantir allows you to do things that 
no, you know, relevant technology would allow you to do on Earth until the modern era when we have video calls and satellites with really high-resolution cameras and things of that nature. The Palantir allows you to do things that only magic could make possible in a medieval setting. And yet it's clearly not magic by de- by Tolkien's definition because it's not really about controlling or dominating, although Sauron does put that to that kind of use. Uh, we see him use that to manipulate and control Saruman and Denethor because they both use theirs when he has theirs. But that's not what the Palantir is designed to do. It's just what Sauron can do because of the inherent uses that the Palantir already has. So that's not about the Palantir itself. It's about Sauron doing bad things with it. Nevertheless, the question remains, how do they work? How do they do what they do? And it's really interesting because theoretically it's it's a creation of Feanor and elves have magic of a sort that we can think of. Think Galadriel's Mirror, which is another thing in in and of itself how does that work but the palantir is a physical thing that does a specific action it it allows you to do things you know see farther you know see places that you aren't present and is this a form of technology or did feanor just have some kind of magic that he imbued some standard stones with that allows them to do this thing the latter approach I don't particularly find convincing precisely because if they were really that easy to just, you know, if you could just magically imbue some orbs with the power to see things far off, why are there only seven of them ever? And why, well, actually eight technically, but, you know, whatever. Why would there only be seven and how come nobody else could do it? It's not like Feanor is necessarily more magical than anybody else. Because elves, in in a sense, don't have magic in, in that way. So it seems really strange to say that it's a magical thing. But what we do know about Feanor is that he is the greatest craftsman ever to live among the mortal races. And by mortals, yes, I am including elves, elves and men. They are not Ainur that live even beyond the end of the world. Elves will die, eventually, at the end of the world. And so the fact that he's a great craftsman lends more weight to the theory that these are some form of technology. It's some form of applied art, we might say, in Tolkien's terms, because Tolkien, of course, would differentiate art from magic or machine in that the object is not domination, and clearly that's not the object with the Palantir or the Palantiri. So it seems like the Palantir is actually a device a machine, a technology. How it works, how Feanor got it to work, who knows? I mean, that's one of the interesting things there is, you know, Tolkien really likes to blend these ideas that are really old, that are in a lot of different fairy stories, but make them a little bit less obvious what they are, because we all know about seeing stones, you know, crystal balls and things like that. And this is one area where, say, the Rankin-Bass film for the Return of the King gets it messed up. You know, Gandalf actually calls it a crystal ball to see the future. They don't see the future. That would be magic, right? The Palantir 
any of the Palantiri, do not see the future. They can only show you what's going on now, and they can only show you at a distance, and you can't get sound. There's no sound with it. Although you can make your thoughts known, but that's that's another question for another time. I don't think that necessarily involves magic, because there's a lot of precedent in the Lord of the Rings and elsewhere, and especially in nature of Middle-earth, now that that's out, for communication of thought quite apart from the ability to speak. So the mere fact that you can communicate thought even without audible sound, I don't think that involves any necessary use of magic. So it seems like these things are actually just kind of machines that are used for this particular purpose, and only Feanor was smart enough to figure out in his day and age how to do that. Now, of course, we have iPhones with FaceTime and Skype and Zoom calls and everything else, which nobody, you know, Tolkien couldn't have even dreamed of that kind of technology, probably, at the time that he wrote some of these. But nevertheless, he was envisioning something that was clearly not just pure magic, it doesn't seem like. It, I mean, it just does not ring like a magic spell. When we do see magic spells... We see them often associated with incantations, like when Gandalf starts a fire, or starts a fire to burn wolves, or starts a fire to, you know, actually save them from freezing to death, <laughs> or when he tries to open a door, you know, I mean, there's a lot of words involved, or something, you know, something coming from the inside, from the person. That seems more like what magic tends to be in the colloquial sense that we would take it. Not so much, you know, what the Palantir does. The Palantir works, you know, with anybody, theoretically. Anybody can use one, although the ability to use it is something you have to practice at. But that's true of even modern technology. People who don't practice with computers and cell phones don't tend to be very good at them. So that doesn't necessarily mean much either. So I just... It's kind of on that weird, fuzzy borderline where it's not really clear where it falls. Finally, I did say I wasn't going to bring up the Silmarillion, but I am going to bring up some old, old versions of the Silmarillion stories and some other related stuff, because these are super interesting just in on their own terms, and so I couldn't leave them out of this video. In really old versions of The Fall of Gondolin and probably some of the older stories, the Fall of Gondolin is really the first time that dragons make a huge appearance. And the dragons in the Fall of Gondolin story, in the old version, they're mechanical. They're actually machines. Straight up machines. Similarly, orcs, and I think I've mentioned this in my video about the metaphysical issues that Tolkien had with orcs. You know, he went through several iterations of the origins of orcs to kind of make them work within his worldview... But the oldest version of orcs were, they were creatures of clay and slime that Morgoth put together and just kind of animated with his will. Kind of like just robots that he programmed. So that's almost kind of technological too. And there's even a story of the downfall of Numenor, where after the fall of Numenor, and it talks about how the world was then made round, and there's, it's no longer flat, and the straight road to Valinor has gone away except for the elves, who can still travel it. It even talks about flying ships and men who attempted to reach Valinor or find the straight road, but never did. 
and it even mentions, I think, something like big metal ships. So you get the idea here that Tolkien is actually talking about modern developments in his own time where, you know, you had giant, you know, metal ships as opposed to the old wooden sailing ships, and not only that, but flying ships. And certainly he was aware of airplanes, but even when he wrote these early stories, space travel was on the horizon. And Tolkien and Lewis, of course, were well aware of space travel stories. And, you know, the space programs of various countries were probably known by the time that he was, you know, working on some of these stories. So he was aware of the fact that space travel might be occurring within his lifetime, which, of course, it ended up being the case. So Tolkien is throwing in a bunch of references to various kinds of technology. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up here at the end is, again, this kind of goes back to that worldview issue like I mentioned earlier with Saruman. We often see cases of technology, machines, being used by the bad guys. And this goes back to the idea that Tolkien very much opposed the use of machines and the industrialization of nature. He was not a fan of any of that. In the same letter that I quoted earlier, he mentions the fact that the urge to use machinery or magic is often as a result of the fall and the desire to avoid mortality. And so, you know, you your pride in revolting against God and your desire to avoid mortality will lead more and more for toward people wanting to efficiently impose their will on nature and other things around them so as to get most benefit from what they can in the time that they have and you know if it in the the other thing is if you're going to go after mortality and try to get rid of that a, a lot of people who are into that kind of thing are at least frequently in stories not above controlling or even killing other people to get what they want because if that's your highest goal, eh, a lot of things can get thrown by the wayside in, in pursuit of that. So, Tolkien very much had this idea of machines and technology being kind of an evil or evil-associated thing. Which is why we see most of the machinery and technology in the hands of the bad guys. There are siege engines that Mordor brings in, you know, against Minas Tirith. The dragons are effectively siege engines in the original versions of the Fall of Gondolin story. You know, I mean, and there may be some siege engines that the heroes use in some stories. I don't remember any specifically offhand. Gondor might have had some catapults in Minas Tirith, but even that's a relatively simple siege engine. Now, you do have, of course, some level of technology in the Shire, like I mentioned earlier. You've got clocks. But there, it's a completely innocuous thing, and you don't have to have a huge amount of technology to build a clock. As long as you can build a simple gear system, you know, you can make that work. But ultimately, we see so much of this and so much of the technology, and then even in those fuzzy cases, like I mentioned the Palantir, the Palantir is not, strictly speaking, designed with evil ends, but in the story that we get, it's almost entirely associated with, you know, bad results, except when Aragorn uses it, and even that is at huge risk and some cost. So, it's not 
ever the case, really, that we see technology in any advanced sense being used without any ill effects in Tolkien. And so this is why it's really interesting to look at various cases of technology in Middle-earth, because more often than not, if you find something that looks kind of like technology, you can almost always peg it with something evil. Which is probably why, when Pippin specifically asks Gandalf, did Sauron make the Palantir? And Gandalf's like, no, he didn't. But like anything else, he can put them to his own bad uses. He has to distinguish the Palantir because it does seem like it would fall into that category. And that's why Pippin naturally asks the question. So that's another reason why that example particularly is kind of on the line and a little fuzzy. So those are the examples of technology in the Lord of the Rings that I can think of. If you can think of any others, please leave them in the comments and you know maybe ex examine how they play a role in the story and whether they fall on the good or bad side of the spectrum. I did mention the Mirror of Galadriel. I don't think that's a case of technology. I think there's something else going on there. Um, what it is, I'm not sure yet, actually, but one of these days, maybe I'll take a look at it. There's other stuff to explore on this, and I'll probably do another future video in the relatively near future tangentially related to this one, because this actually is a very deep topic overall. But this is where I'm going to leave this one for now. Like I said, leave a comment if, you, if I missed any examples that I should have included, and hopefully we can learn some more stuff. That said, if you like the video, please give it a thumbs up and share it around. Please also subscribe and hit that bell icon if you want to catch more of my content, and you can catch me on podcasts and on uh, Odyssey and Rumble. You can follow me at Twitter at JRRTLore, and you can support me over at Patreon. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namariye.